Well, good evening, church. Exciting night tonight. Great time of worship. Just beautiful. And now, now we get to open God's Word and dig in and hear what He has to say to us this evening. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. If you need a Bible, Stephen is up and he's got some Bibles in his hands and he'll bring one right to you so you can follow along with us. Daniel, chapter 6 tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you give to us to meet together tonight and to be able to open up your word freely and to receive, Lord Holy Spirit, what you have to say to us through your word. We ask your blessing upon our time together. Lord, we ask uh, for our children downstairs as they're being taught your word, they would have open hearts to receive and hear all that you have to speak to their hearts as well, Lord. And we just uh, thank you, Lord, for this time your grace towards us. Lord, help us just to uh, forget about the cares, the concerns of this past week and just focus our hearts on what you have to say to us this evening. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite VeggieTales movies, they've been out a long, long time, but one of my favorites was Daniel and the Lion Den. And that's chapter 6 of Daniel. And one of my favorite songs... If you have kids, and you probably have heard this song as well, it's a wise man's song about the problem they have with Daniel. Oh no, what we're going to do? The king loves Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we're going to do? we got to get him out of here. They're concerned about it. So then they have suggestions. We could throw him in the dungeon. We could let him rot in jail. We could drag him to the ocean, have him eaten by a whale. We can throw him in the tigress, let him float a while, then we'll all sit back and watch him meet a hungry crocodile. We could put him on a camel's back and send him off to Ur with a cowboy hat without a brim, a boot without a spur. My favorite. We could give him jelly donuts, take them all away, or we could fill his ears with cheese balls and his nostrils with sorbet. We could use him as a footstool or a table to play Scrabble on, then tie him up and beat him up and throw him out of Babylon. Love that song. If you ever heard it, it's pretty quick and you got to look up the words to know what they say. But Daniel and the Lion's Den is one of the most familiar stories uh, in Scripture. We've heard it many, many times. What we often forget, though, is why Daniel was in the Lion's Den. He was under a death sentence for doing what is right. And times have not changed all that much. People are sometimes rewarded for sinning and, and punished for doing that which is right. And we know that this world, in this world, that the wrongs in this world will never be made right completely until Jesus Christ returns to this earth. Now as chapter 5 drew to a close, we saw that the Babylonian Empire uh, fell to the armies of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and, and Cyrus gave control of the, the Babylonian territory to Darius the Mede. Now, the Medo-Persian Empire was the fulfillment of Daniel's previous prophecy regarding the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream there in chapter 2. The Babylonian Empire was the the head of gold. It was replaced by the breast and the arms of, of silver, that of the Medes and the Persians. Now, what's interesting, in today's times, we know that the Persians are modern day Iranians. 
But you do know that, that uh, many believe that the Medes are the modern day Kurds. And, and if you caught the news this morning, you've heard President Trump call our servicemen out from fighting alongside the Kurds there in Syria to come home. Now you also know, if you follow this at all, that the Kurds are having a very difficult time there. And although the majority of the Kurds are Muslim, uh, you know, they're fighting against ISIS. ISIS considers them to be an idolatrous and has threatened them with extinction. And, and so they've been fighting against ISIS there. Now, now with us pulling out uh, of there, Turkey now is certainly is not going to help them because Turkey doesn't like the Kurds. And since the Kurds have been on Syria's side against ISIS, other countries, they're not going to come in and help out inadvertently because of their, their fear of helping Syria. So this is a, a list of long time uh, struggles with the Kurdish people have endured in their effort to reclaim their national identity and, and homeland that they had in ancient times. We're living really in a very interesting time when it comes to the Middle East and what's going on there. And the, the really, really the explosion, the escalation of things happening there, uh, it could happen at any moment. I, you know, I see, and I've talked, shared about this before, the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 17 and the, the destruction of Damascus there in, in Syria could happen, which could definitely lead to the events spoken of in Ezekiel 38 and 39, where Turkey, along with Russia and Iran and, and a few other Islamic countries, decide to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And, and as they do, God steps in and five-sixths of that army is destroyed. I say keep your eye on Turkey right now and what they do next and keep praying for that region. And, and that's the reason I brought up this evening, because there's a lot of Christian Kurds in that area. And uh, a lot of civilians in that area, and so just be praying for that area. But here again, in the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had of the statue, there was a Babylonian empire, the head of gold, and now from chapter 5, it's replaced by the breast and the arms of silver, that of the Medes and the Persians. And the last verse of chapter 5, we're told that Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. And verse 1 we read now of chapter 6, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, understand, at this point, Daniel is in his late 80s, and he's going strong. Mind you, the lady that turned 100 years old at her birthday party, someone asked her if she had any children, and her reply was, not yet. Um, (laughs) Daniel remained active as an insider in the Persian government, probably representing the Jewish interest. And now it's time for Darius to form the the new government there over the 120 provinces of Babylon. And the the system that was devised was simple and efficient. He put a a satrap or a royal over each province, 120 in all. Then he appointed, appointed three commissioners, one of whom was Daniel, to oversee the satraps, and Darius was one over the three commissioners. Now, because it was such a new government, there was wrinkles to iron out more efficient methods of government. But one of the changes that the king was considering was elevating Daniel even over the, the, the commissioners, placing him in charge over the whole kingdom, just, just right underneath himself. And you have to ask yourself, how did Daniel manage to rise above the rest? Was he a man that, you know, just scrambled his way to the top, you know, and using politics? I mean, did he just buddy up to the right people? Did he, you know, climb that corporate ladder by any means necessary? 
No. In fact, verse 3 tells us that he advanced in the ranks because of an excellent spirit was in him. I like that. What's an excellent spirit? Well, in this day and age, I think it would be hard to recognize. Uh, an excellent spirit manifests itself like it did in Daniel. It's one in whom there's intelligence, there's, there's wisdom, understanding. There's a, a servant's heart. When someone has an excellent spirit, he's going to boldly stand up on godly principles. He has discretion. He has discernment. If someone who prays when he or she doesn't have the answer, it's someone who prays when he or she doesn't have the answers and who gives thanks when God answers. It's someone who watches out for his or her friends. Someone who's courteous but, but not a respecter of persons, doesn't give in to greed or worldly temptations. We see all of these attributes in Daniel. That's what it looks like on a person, uh, an excellent spirit on, on a person. And this is how Daniel advanced so highly in both the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian Empire. But as in our own society, when someone you know, doesn't climb the corporate ladder the way they're supposed to, the way everyone else does, when you start standing up for righteousness and living a life set apart from those around you, well, that light's going to be seen. It's going to reflect to those around you. One of two things are going to happen. Either they're going, to, they're going to want what you have, seeing what you got, or they're going to come against you. Either way, Jesus said this in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your lights shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Either way, we're called to let our lights shine before men. So we see that Darius saw this excellent spirit in Daniel, desired to promote him, whereas the same taps saw the same thing, but they wanted to get rid of him. Oh no, what are we going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. So, verse 4. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Well, in order to accuse Daniel, they had to launch a private investigation. It's not the first time a political entity has tried to dig up dirt on an opponent. But to their dismay, Daniel turns up clean. No sex scandals from 40 years ago. No girlfriends on the side. No campaign finance irregularities. No insider training. No political paybacks. No private email servers. No collusions. No quid pro quo. They could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Why? Because he had an excellent spirit in him. Sad to say uh, that not all government leaders have gained their positions due to an excellent spirit. These 122 men didn't like the idea of Daniel being over them, so they were actively looking for a way to discredit him. Man, sounds very much like our political atmosphere today. Unfortunately for them, Daniel's life wasn't open to accusation. I have to wonder, if there are 122 people actively looking at my life or your life to discredit us, expose our wrongdoings, how hard would it be for them to find grounds of accusations? I mean, are are we open to exposure? Is there nothing in our lives that would cause us shame? I mean, I just imagine if a private eye spent the next 30 days turning your life upside down, he scoured your online accounts, scanned your hard drive, bugged your conversations, wiretapped your phone, put a surveillance camera on you. What dirt would he find? 
Daniel was a, a, a professional diplomat. He, he, he lived, he worked in the political pagan politics for, for, for seven decades that they could find nothing at all in his life. No fault at all. In fact, verse 4 proves that it is possible to live in this world and not be polluted by it. They could find no turn to fault because he was faithful. That means you don't have to get down in the mud to get things done. That that stream that runs through our hearts and our minds can remain pure. We can stand up for God and survive, even thrive, as we are faithful, as Daniel was, to our God. In fact, it's not only possible, it's what God expects. Philippians 2.15 Paul told the Christians, Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. As Christians, we're to be above reproach, above accusation. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the kind of life that Daniel lived, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. So what do you do if you're out to get someone who's a man of integrity such as Daniel? Look at verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which is not altered. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Basically, these jealous satraps and governors said, we can't allow... Anyone to love God the way Daniel does. So we're going to make a law that no one can love God the way Daniel does. Now listen, how did they do that? They did that in a legislative manner. And a reason I say that is because, again, that's what we see happening today in our world today. There's this a trend that, 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 that as terminology changes, so does the law change. It used to be called abortion, murder. Now it's called choice and there's laws to allow it. It used to be called alcoholism, now it's called disease. It used to be called fornication, now it's called an affair. It used to be called sodomy and it was illegal, now it's called gay rights and it's legal. Marriage was between one man and one woman, now it's legislated whoever you want. It's called life partners. You see what's happening? As we continue to change the terms around when it comes to sin, I'm convinced that in my life as a pastor, if the Lord should tarry, that I will encounter much opposition simply because I call sin, sin, and not a lifestyle. And how will that happen? It will happen legislatively. Because we're already seeing, increasing by leaps and bounds, people saying, hey, what you think is right or wrong is different than what we think, so we're going to change the law so that you're going to be guilty of this offense. Unless you see it my way. And we have bakers that are sued because they won't agree with a person's lifestyle choices. Listen, call it a lifestyle choice Call it a choice, call it an affair, call it a disease. God still calls it sin. And as God has called me to rightly divide the word of God, that's what I have to call it. 
And I don't say that in pride or arrogance. I just say it because that's what God says. So what happens if our country keeps going the way that it is with these laws that, that, that what happened to Daniel will happen to us. And they may say, hey, you can't pray anymore. You can't go to church anymore. You can't, you can't do this anymore. We made a law against this. We made a law against you calling homosexuality a sin. Well, listen, you can say that, but when I get to the topic in God's Word, I'm still going to call it sin. So you might as well hang out in the church until I get there, and then you can arrest me or you can get saved first, one way or the other. Because that's what we're called as Christians to do. That's what we're called to, to obey and follow what God's Word teaches, regardless of what the law says or the world or what, what others are teaching. So I, I'm, as I'm following God's Word, I'm going to be doing what God says, not man. Now, unfortunately, the king listened to the many counselors. Look at verse 8 again. They said, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. All 122 of these leaders came in and told the king that it was unanimous among his rulers that he should be honored for 30 days, sort of a, a king's appreciation month. They claimed that the law should be passed, forbidding prayer to any god or man, but to only to Darius. Now, now the king figured that, that, that if every leader in the land thought this was a good idea, I mean, that's what they said, then it must be. And I dare say in this position, we probably would have all agreed as well. Because, you see, we're very susceptible to the ideas of the majority. Hey, we're, we're all for this. What do you say? Let's all do this. I mean, after all, doesn't the Bible say there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors? Actually, you may be surprised, the Bible doesn't say that. Whether you're reading the King James Version or the NIV or the New American Standard, you'll not find a verse that says there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. A lot of people who read their Bibles, they may disagree. They say, well, no, I know I've read that before. Well, if you're a reader of Proverbs in the King James Version of the Bible, it might sound familiar. After all, Proverbs 11, 14, 24, 6 tells us that in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15.22 tells us that purposes are established in a multitude of counselors, but nowhere does it promise wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Now, I'm not saying that, that seeking wisdom, seeking counsel is, is wrong. Actually, one of the first Proverbs says in Proverbs 1.5, a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. But it's important that we make sure that we consider who we're getting our counsel from. Isaiah said in Isaiah 19.1, the wise counselors of Pharaoh give senseless advice. I think a lot of people, they think they're finding wisdom by talking to a lot of different people. Well, what do you think about this? What do you, well, what do you think about this? And, and they keep going around and around hoping to find the answer they, they want to hear. They get, get the majority to tell them what they want to hear. And really, the more majority vote, uh, you know, the, the more common really is a vote for the flesh. Yeah, man, you, you, you should leave the guy. Man, if you're not happy, you should leave the guy. Well, wait a minute. That's of the flesh. Not the spirit. Now, it's just, it's just like the, the children of Israel did in the wilderness. You know, one man said, hey, let's go forward. While three million said, no, let's go back to Egypt. You turned out to be right. Not the multitude of counselors. And certainly we see that wisdom was not found in Darius's multitude of counselors. Notice too what an interesting system of law they had in the Medo-Persian Empire. While the king of Babylon had been all powerful, able to change laws at a whim, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire could not change a law once it was put into effect. 
And I believe that in part is why uh, what Daniel meant when he told Nebuchadnezzar that the kingdom to replace his would be inferior. Then one more side note. Notice the three tools Daniel's enemies used to persuade the king to sign this edict. Edict. They're the same three tools Satan uses against us today that, that cause us to make rash decisions. First, they created a fanfare. We're told they thronged before the king. They all came in, hey, this is going on, hey, 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 king, king, king. They, they really designed to create confusion. Throw the king off his game. Get him confused as to what's really going on. Second, they falsified the truth. They said all the governors had collaborated on this idea. Well, we know at least one governor that didn't. Daniel never would have agreed. So they falsified the truth. And then third, they used flattery. Oh, King Darius, live forever. You only should be revered as God. You know, Darius was, he was a skilled administrator and he liked to hear other people tell him so. And, and all this combined fanfare, falsehood, flattery caused the king and often us to, to make bad choices. Therefore, verse 9, the king, king Darius signed the written decree. Now look at verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. It's interesting to note what kind of prayer Daniel was praying. After the decree was given, anyone praying would be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel prays a prayer of thanksgiving. Now, I don't believe that Daniel had a death wish. But I think if it were me praying, I would be praying, Oh God, please, not the lions. Anything but the lions. But that's not Daniel's prayer. Daniel's prayer is, God, thank you for the opportunity to glorify you today. And not only did Daniel pray a prayer of thanks, but note this, and I want to touch on this briefly. Daniel knelt down on his knees to pray. The reason I bring this up is I've said this many times. It doesn't matter what position you're in to pray. It doesn't matter where you're at. You know, you, we always need to pray always and, and worship, which is true. But let me also say, uh, uh, note to that truth, that, that is many times a sign of, sincere, of a sincere heart will be reflected in the position of a body. What I mean by that is that you'll find in Scripture that those that have prayed the most powerful prayers have prayed on bended knee. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed on bended knee. The Apostle Paul, when he communed with the Father, he was on bended knee. Too many times I see in scriptures uh, men on bended knee. So don't disregard that, you, you know, when you pray. It's a good thing. Because the Lord sees your heart and he knows it's one of humility and he sees that you're truly seeking him. And I think that can be a reflection on the, your position. But also, we see in Daniel's life, prayer was a priority. It says here that Daniel prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. This wasn't, okay, you're telling me I can't pray? Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray three times today just to show you guys. It doesn't do that. This isn't a, a revenge prayer. This isn't a reaction prayer. It was his custom, it says here, that that's what he did since he was young. Now remember, Daniel's not a, a young spry anymore. I mean, he, he's a prime minister this time in his 90s. He, he, with a lot going on, he makes prayer a priority. And I say that because prayer changes things. And we're going to see in these coming chapters just how powerful prayer is. Is God sends his messengers to answer prayer. And we know God's messengers, his angels, I mean, they're ready to answer all different kinds of prayers. 
You know, the different angels that are out there, you have different types of angels, there are military angels and ministering angels and, and angels just ready to do God's work. And I believe that many times God is in heaven listening to your prayers and He's ready to, to dispatch His angels and ready to work in your life, whatever it is you're praying for, and as you pray according to Jesus' will, it's going to be done. And He's got the military angels and He's got the protective angels and He's got the, the ministering angels ready to go. I've shared this before. I think there's probably way too many food angels. You know, the, the angels that answer your prayer at mealtime. Oh, Lord, we ask you to bless our food. We're thankful for you the provision. All right, you know, send an angel down. I remember Matthew, my son, for years, when he was really, really young, probably three or four, my wife would fix the meal and, and we would ask Matthew to pray. And we would pray, God, help this food not to be poison. God was faithful and sent an angel to make sure the food wasn't poison and Lisa's a good cook. But, but I think oftentimes the angels are excited in heaven and ready to move for God, ready to work for God and, 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 and military angels, God, you need me to meet me or protective angels? No, nah, can I go now? Or the Lord said, no, no, I need another food angel at Humphrey House. You know, I mean, their three-year-old is concerned with the spaghetti being poisoned. Got all these angels waiting to serve. Listen, what a privilege of prayer that we have. We ought to be the kind of people that, that are keeping the angels so busy that on a Saturday night before you go to bed, you're praying and the angels are being dispatched at Calvary Chapel, Springfield, ready to do what God's going to do on Sunday morning. Okay, ministering angels. Okay, 2440 East Seminole. Get, get down there, get to work. Military angels. Man, you got to keep, keep them protected. 2440 East Seminole. Go, go. Protective angels. There it is. Uh, Seminole Lumpine. You need to go. Food angels, take the night off. Okay, you're good. But in all seriousness, there are lives that are being lost and we need to be those praying for them. Daniel prayed three times a day. And this wasn't just for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He'd get down on his knees and he would pray. We know Muslims, they pray five times a day. And I'm told that, that you know, in Israel, that, that you'll see Muslims stop whatever they're doing, wherever that, they get out their, their prayer rug, down on there, throw it towards Mecca, and they get down on their knees and pray, even in the middle of traffic. They hear that, that, they hear sound and, and, and get out of the cars, wherever that, and pray. Like, could you imagine here in Springfield, you know, we could sound the tornado horns, you know, three times a day to remind every person that goes to Calvary Chapel Springfield to pray to the one true God, not, not to Mecca. Stopping whatever we were doing, even if we're driving down Glenstone to get out of our cars and pray. There's a little humor there, but, but there's a strong point that's made. Why aren't we Christians known for praying? We should be. And how effective is our prayer life? I think being alone with God can be a very scary proposition for some, but nothing is more rewarding. And you get this idea, Daniel is praying three times a day, in, and this is his life. It's always been his life. Nothing has changed. He's doing what he's always did. But they're going to be knocking on his door at any moment. Look at verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, Daniel, look what, what Daniel's done, who is one of the captains from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. 
and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Daniel was caught praying, guilty as charged. And these guys come to the king and kind of, na 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 na, look what Daniel's done. And it tries that my king Darius was, was, was powerless to rescue Daniel from the law that he himself had signed. He was forced to obey his own terrible law. And he was displeased with himself because he knew that he blew it. Look at verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, you all know the story, but before we move to verse 17, look what is happening right here. Daniel's at the point of being cast into the lion's den. But before he does, the king comes up to him and says, Hey Daniel, come here. I know the God in whom you serve, he's going to deliver you. And you think, well, how is that that this generally heathen king has this word of faith for Daniel before Daniel even goes into the lion den? Here's what I think. I think Daniel's relationship with God has been so pure and so holy that the king, who is not a believer, has witnessed God show up again and again and again in Daniel's life. And so because of that, this king with no spiritual background is encouraging Daniel in his faith. Now what is amazing about this is this. Could you imagine someone in your workplace that doesn't know the Lord and you find out you're, you, you, that you're going to got to go to surgery for something going on in your body and they say, you know what, I'm not a believer and I don't go to your church or anything. I'm not really interested in spiritual things, but I know how much you love your God and I know that, that based on the way you live that your God loves you, that God's going to help you and God's going to see you through that. I mean, now, if you're going to hear that from someone in your workplace that has nothing to do with God, you'd say, wait a minute, what's going on? But you see, Daniel had so lived a life that this heathen king cannot deny that Daniel has a true relationship with God. That's an excellent spirit that was in him. I think that's something that's incredibly commendable. It's something I hope for in my life. I hope for you as well. That even if a person's life who doesn't believe, they still cannot deny that what you have is genuine. What you have is real, and that relationship with God is real. What happens next? Now look at verse 17. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Now, before we get to verse 19, there's an amazing contrast here. The king's in his palace. He's pacing back and forth. I don't know, uh, what, what am I going to do? I can't sleep a week. While Daniel on the other end of that, I bet he's sawing locks. You know, maybe he's cuddled up to one of those big, huge lions just kind of laying there next to them as a big pillow. One is in peace. The other is in turmoil. Hebrews chapter 11, you might want to take note of this, the great hall of faith chapter. It speaks of Daniel specifically or not Daniel specifically, but it speaks of those who shut the mouth of lions by faith. By faith. See, there's something happening here that we can't see. The very exhortation and encouragement of the king, I believe, is reflective again on Daniel's life. Now look at verse 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel... Servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? 
Daniel, are you okay? But then you don't hear Daniel saying anything. In fact, you don't even hear him say, No, I'm not okay. Get me out of here. Before these guys look hungry, they're out to get me. That's not what's happening. The king is the one who's frantic and saying, Daniel, is your God able to save you? Then Daniel said to the king, verse 21, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, king, I have done no wrong before you. Oh yeah, king. Last night, my God sent his angel, his protection angels, and, and they shut the mouth of the lions. And as Daniel has this whole Bible study ready to give to the king. Instead of him screaming out in fear, he's responding in faith to what God has done. Why is that important? Because sometimes when we're in the midst of our own lines, then people are watching us. And they're, they're looking at how we're going to respond. What we're going to say. And if we're acting all freaked out and, and frantic, and, 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 and then we blow the opportunity to be acting in faith. Faith says, I believe. I believe that what God is doing something here, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I, I trust Him and He's going to see me through this. Faith says, I still believe that now my behavior affects my belief. You know, you can practice this, especially when, when you fly. Yeah, I, I, Maybe you've flown before, you understand this. My recent trip to California, I can tell you that 90% of the people on that plane had faith that they were not going to die. How do I know that? Well, because as that steward was, was up there with the oxygen mask and talking about the seatbelt and the oxygen mask coming down, nobody was listening. I mean, they're looking at things, they're not listening to her. And you know, now I've never had to pull out my flotation device as I've flown. I'm trusting that it works. I don't know why I need a flotation device as you're flying over the Grand Canyon, but 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 they tell you about it. But I also don't believe that the plane is going to crash. I do believe the flotation device is there. Now, if that pilot came on a loudspeaker on the plane and said, hey, there's a possibility that I'm going to run low on fuel, you know, in this flight, and, and one of the engines is not really, it's got this ping to it, I'm not sure about it, and, and uh, listen, when that flight attendant tells you about the flotation device, man, you're going to be listening to every word, if you can't get off the plane right then and there, you're going to be listening to every word she has to say. I mean, that's my first choice, get off the plane. But, but you better believe that the tenant came out, I would be listening every word. And, I mean, I'd pay close attention. Man, explain it to me one more time again. Why would that be different? Well, because your belief and your behavior are connected. There's a connection between your belief and your behavior. So that when Daniel is acting in faith, and he has this little mini Bible study that he's telling uh, the king, his belief is now affecting his behavior. So that when you go into the lion's den of a trial and someone says, hey, how you doing? You're going to respond in faith. You know what? I'm doing all right. God's in control. Now, if I can't respond in faith, then I need to go spend some time with the Lord. I need to be on my knees in prayer. And, and seeing how he is the good shepherd. And he leads me behind, beside the still waters. And he's going to bring peace in my life that passes understanding. If I'm not spending time in His presence, then how can I, I trust that, that, that He's going to get me through these things? See, your fear will be turned to faith so the others will say, you know, Christian, I thought you'd be freaked out with all this stuff going on, but man, you have this peace. It's crazy. Well, I've been spending time with the Lord Jesus. I've been in His Word. I've been praying. Listen, if you've done that, then you'll experience the same thing that Daniel had. My God sent His angel. You don't have to be fearful. Daniel was fearless because of his faith. 
Have you ever found yourself face to face with an overly aggressive dog? Being a mailman, I experience more times than I, I wish to admit. But, but you know, if you stand your ground and you show some confidence and not afraid, you know, you'll be okay. But man, they sniff out that fear. If any little bit of fear comes in, man, and they get more aggressive. I wonder if Daniel's fearlessness had the opposite effect on the lions. His confidence in God it caused them to back down and just stand there. I trust my God. Looking at these lions, you know, the lions might have feared Daniel. <laughs> I mean, Daniel knew his predicament would be determined by the hand of God, not the claws and the jaws of these lions. Charles Spurgeon said, it's a good thing those lions didn't eat old Daniel. They would have choked on him. Daniel was half grit and half backbone. <laughs> Perhaps God was actually looking out for the lions. <laughs> they might have broken the teeth on Daniel. So Daniel had nothing to fear. On the other hand, look, look who does have to be afraid. Those who don't know the Lord. Those who set traps for, for God's people. Look what happens next in verse 23. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. That's awesome. Now here's the part you don't see on VeggieTales. You probably never heard in Sunday school. Verse 24. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children and their wives and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. The governmental leaders were thrown into the lion's den along with their families and they were so hungry they were eaten alive before they even hit the ground. I don't, you'll never see that on VeggieTales. Bob the tomato becoming tomato sauce. I mean, it just wouldn't happen. But but look at the seriousness of this. I mean, the, the thought of the whole families, including their children, being thrown to these hungry lions is horrific. And that's why you, you don't hear so much about that. But, but this was the law of the land. The same law that these wicked men had tried to use against Daniel. And how tragic that their innocent children had to suffer over such with the awful penalties of sin. Now I have to say that I believe that children under the age of accountability went home to be with the Lord because God always vindicates His own. Proverbs 11.8 says, The righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. We don't have time for it, but a whole study could be done on those that attempt to bring down God's anointed. Suffice it to say, they reap what they've sown. And finally, we see why God permitted Daniel to go through this whole experience. He did it in order to bring glory to God's name. Look at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Isn't that an interesting edict? Men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Proverbs 9.10 tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Daniel's greatest fear was not being let down into the lion's den, but letting down his God. He feared God more than he feared the lions. What about you? Look at Darius' decree continues. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? You know, I, I think it's possible that we'll see Darius in heaven, along with Nebuchadnezzar. They seem to have a sincere faith. 
Chapter 6 concludes verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let me make one final point. There are those that have dug a little bit deeper into Scripture and have said that Daniel is a perfect type of Christ, a typology. Just as Daniel continued to trust his Heavenly Father, we see the same trust in Jesus Christ facing a similar situation. Darius is a type of Pontius Pilate, someone who's always kind of swayed back and forth between popular decision. He wants to please the people, but at the same time, his conscience is telling him something different, but he's not willing to listen because he wants to please the people. The satraps certainly remind us of the crowd, those who shouted, crucify, crucify him. And then when it comes to the lions and the lion's den, the Bible says that there is an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I find that interesting because we have Jesus shutting the mouth of the lion in his own den. Keep in mind, when Jesus died in Ephesians 4, it says that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth and he led captivity captive. He proclaimed power over death, power over Satan. Basically what Jesus did is shut the mouth of his lion in the same way he shut the mouth of Daniel's lions. So now we have a, a simple cat fight. We have our lion, the Bible describes him as our lion from the tribe of Judah, the one who is more powerful than any, king of kings and lord of lords. And what is he doing? He's shutting the mouth of the roaring lion who's trying to devour us today. He's trying to devour us with accusations and, and temptations. But you can live in faith because you can trust that our lion from the tribe of Judah is much more powerful and is able to bring you out of that den. When Jesus Christ conquered hell and death on the cross, he also defamed and declawed the enemy. Now about the worst thing he can do is gum you, you know, slobber all over you and freak you out. But Jesus took away his ability to do any damage to you. And God's given you the power to resist temptation. We're no longer held captive to do the work of the enemy. In fact, you're given so much more. You have the, the power at any time when you were in your own lines then to shut the mouth of the lion's. Listen, if we're living like Daniel, living a life of prayer, a life of thanksgiving, a life of integrity, then it will change our lives completely forever. Because the same God that delivered Daniel from his den is the same God that is willing to, to save you in whatever den you may be in tonight. My prayer is no matter what we face or how difficult the situation may be, that you know that the love of God is so able to save you of any, out of any trial that comes your way. And in turn, it gives us the opportunity to glorify God. Let's dare to be a Daniel. Take a stand when it's your turn and God will be with you even in the lion's den. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. Lord, to, to see this story, well-known story, but to dig deeper into it and see that Daniel was a man of integrity. He was a man of faith that trusted in you. He would not waver, Lord, when, when, when they told him he couldn't do what you've called him to do. A man of prayer, man of principle, man of integrity. Lord, as believers, that's our desire to be. Like Daniel, but more so like you, Jesus. That you would conform us into your image, into your likeness. Lord, that when we are put in situations Trials like dens of lions, difficult problems. Lord, that we would keep our eyes and our focus on you. You defeated the, 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 the one that, that tries to destroy us. He has no power. 
Lord, you are a great King and Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, help us to walk this walk of faith through the midst of trials that we might glorify you in every situation that the world would see that we serve a mighty, powerful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.